morning, we're talking about a challenge that not only the early church faced, but I think a challenge that we all face as well. The early church is faced with a group of people coming together with a diverse sense of, of background, a diverse sense of what it looks like to have this relationship with God. And so as they do that, they really struggle with this message of Jesus Christ that Paul brings. How do you stop doing all the stuff you've been doing? I mean, if you were an Orthodox Jew, there are, there are just layers upon layers upon layers of law, of rules, things you need to do, things you need to adhere to. And if you don't adhere to those things, your relationship with God is in question. And here comes Paul with the message of Jesus. Not saying that none of that matters, but saying Jesus in his own acclaim said, I am the fulfillment of the law. And so now we live into the good news of the gospel of Christ. We struggle with that. Maybe not from the vantage point of being Jewish or having that, that, that layer upon layer of law. What we struggle with is that we believe at the very core of our being, that implicit bias that we have, that you get what you deserve in life. But grace doesn't look like that. We don't get what we deserve in life. And if we did, God help us all. But we struggle with what it means to, to really live into grace. Grace is God giving us not what we deserve, but what God desires for us. It's not something we can earn. It's not something that we can we can follow just the right rules, check just the right boxes. That recipe doesn't ever come together without what Paul's talking about today. And that's spirit-filled living. What does it mean to live by the power of God's Holy Spirit infused in our life? You've heard it said, live by the law, die by the law. Maybe you heard it, live by the sword, die by the sword. The challenge with trying to live by the law is that we would surely die by the law. But the grace of Jesus Christ brings us life. The grace of Jesus Christ brings us hope. So as we, as we enter into this, this discussion this morning, as we look at what it is that Paul is talking about and what it is that Jesus brings into our life, we have, to, we have to really grasp where this letter was pointed and how it applies to us. How do we look at that combination of gospel and Old Testament? Jesus said he fulfilled it. That doesn't necessarily mean we throw it out. But we do need to be careful in how we utilize the Old Testament. We have to be careful in not just piling on, but really looking at what fulfillment looks like and what moving forward looks like. The whole book of Galatians is about not adding stuff 
to what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. The very baseline of being who Jesus asks us to be, to do the things that Jesus asks us to do, we have our plate full. We don't need to add anything else to it. It would seem so easy, right? I mean, really, it kind of boils down to, and, and Jesus said, it really boils down to living into the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And, and, and of course, that other part, right? Love your neighbors yourself. We, we, we should be able to do that. The, the New Testament is the fulfillment of that Old Testament pointing us in this direction. And today, when we get into this third chapter of Galatians, we're going to go back and revisit that Old Testament. We're going to revisit what it means to have that, that tension of law and faith. I want, us, I want us to share Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 this morning because it really kind of sets the stage. It says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not about what we do. It's not about us. It is about God. The things that we do are in response. It is not to attain the love and the grace of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? Kathy talked about the yeast in the bread. In our faith, it looks like the spirit in our life. Adam Clark. Adam Clark has, has written, you know, mounds of, of commentary. But in this, it's very succinct and I think very important. He says this, if you go forward in the spirit of the original apostles and followers of Jesus Christ, trust not in man, but in the living God. He'll enable you to pull down the strongholds of sin and Satan, and that work by which he is pleased will prosper in your hands. We're talking about living by the Spirit. We're talking about living a life that is so in coordination with the life of Jesus that, that we, take on, we take on that very image. So today we're going to go to the third chapter of Galatians. And Paul, Paul brings us some, some examples. He takes us back to the Old Testament. He gives us some very specific very clear-cut instruction, and then he brings us to that conclusion where we go, ah, I hope we go, ah, we get it. He says this, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that's been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later doesn't set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, 
then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promises referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party. But God is It's the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scriptures locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Paul starts out, with a simple illustration. He's talking about he's talking about a contract. And how when we have a contract, we can't just change it up because it would be convenient for us. We we can't just decide this is the way that we want to do it. Take for example, you're buying a house. You've signed a contract. Now, you've, written, you've read all the fine print, right? Well, we're not going to deal with the fine print. We're going to deal with the big print. You agreed to pay a certain value for a house. What if you came to the closing and said, you know what, I'm going to give you about $35,000 less than I said I was going to give you. Would that work? It, it will not. It will not. In fact, they'll probably sue you over it all. But... The point is this, you can't just renegotiate contracts at your will. You can't just decide, this is what I think we ought to do, and do that. That's what's going on in the church. They're just deciding, this is the way I think it ought to be. These are the things I think you ought to do. Jesus said, this is what I expect. This is what I desire. This is what it looks like to live this life of faith. We don't need all of the law. We need to to clarify the terms, right? Clarify what the terms look like. Go back to Abraham, okay? We're back to Abraham, and Abraham is given the promise. Given the promise. Read this quote. One should use common words to say uncommon things. Okay? We're not trying to get complicated. Using common words to say common things. Abraham, Abraham didn't have the law. Didn't have it yet. Yet God gave him a promise, right? You know the promise that God gave Abraham. Abraham said, because you love me, because of the way that you serve me, because of the way that, that you live your life, I'm making this promise to you. I will make your descendants more numerous than the stars of the heavens. It wasn't because of law. What was it about? Relationship. It was about relationship. And then Paul says, oh, but yes, the law came, and we know that it came. Why did it come? Why do we have the law? Is it to protect us from having way too much fun? 
Is it, is it so that we'll be deprived of some things in our life that if we just have enough deprivation, we'll have a better appreciation for God? Absolutely not. It would, it would be the same comparison as to say, that's, that's why we teach our children the things that we teach them. We say, please, honey, don't touch the burner on the stove. Because if you do, you'll just love it. No, we say don't do it because it will burn your hand. Don't do that. The law was established for our benefit. It was established to protect us. But now, in the fulfillment of Christ, we're into a new era. Something new is happening. And in Jesus, the promise was delivered. The promise being grace. The promise being freedom from the law. Now, as we say that, we've got to be really, really careful, okay? We're not talking about cutting the Bible in two and saying the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. There's lots of that history we need to know. There's a lot of what happened in the Old Testament that we need to be aware of, but we don't need to deal with all the Levitical law. The Levitical law has been fulfilled. In such, we're children of the promise. And of that promise, of that promise, we are children of grace. When the church was trying to impart all of these other things upon people, all of these things that they needed to be doing, not eating shellfish and, and I mean, the list goes, I mean, there are thousands of them, right? Nobody could do them. Nobody. So Jesus, in the fulfillment, came with a new understanding of covenant. Love God. Love Jesus. Do what Jesus does. Do what Jesus says. And life will be forever changed. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, but what about the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, the Ten Commandments are law. Interesting fact Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments. Every one of the Ten Commandments are found in the teachings of Jesus. And what that means is that those Ten Commandments, they form a moral code, right? I mean, we would agree with that. Wouldn't you agree with keeping the Ten Commandments? I mean, we understand, thou shalt not kill, right? I mean, we know killing's a bad thing. We, we, we know that you should not covet things that your neighbor has, right? Say yes. Yes, we know we shouldn't covet those things our neighbor has. We should. We should honor our mother and father, right? Say yes. We know those things. It seems like it should be common sense. When Moses came down from the mountain, they had to just read these and think, boy, any idiot could do this. Except nobody could. Not one. Do we throw out that part of the law? No. Why? Because Jesus taught about it. Because Jesus lived into it. Because it does have a foundation in the teachings of Jesus Christ. What we know is that we we fail to have the ability to do that on our own. Hence, why do we put yeast in bread? It rises it. Why do we put the Spirit in our life? It enables us to do what we could not do on our own. Does it mean we're going to get it perfect? 
doesn't. But the other part of it doesn't give us permission to thumb our nose at God and say, I'm just, I'm not going to worry about it. Because it matters. Why does it matter? Because it's moral code. Because it's things that we should just know we should or shouldn't do, right? You fall down, you get up. But you allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life in such a way that we continually grow in our relationship and draw closer to Christ. Obedience to Jesus is is the key in this. And, you know, we find it in Scripture. We find we find in God's Word what to do and how to do it. But but remember, remember when Jesus, Jesus is crucified, he, he, is, he is resurrected, he comes back, he's with the disciples, he's in Jerusalem. And you remember what he says? Now I'm going to be leaving, so just hang around town. Well, he doesn't exactly say it that way. But what he says is, do not... Go out on your own and attempt this, but I will send one after me, my Holy Spirit, to live in you. And through the power of that Holy Spirit, you're going to live a transformed life. Going to change the trajectory of who you are and allow you to share the good news, the gospel of Christ, in ways that bring others together. I mean, folks, we started with Jesus and a dozen folks. It wasn't us that changed it. It was Jesus. It wasn't our understanding, but our life lived in the power of God's Holy Spirit that makes that work. I want to leave you with this thought. It is a quote from Dallas Willard, and he says this. He says, Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. That's why we continually strive to live into this life of discipleship because we want we want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. And we only do that by by the power of his Holy Spirit to live into the things that he didn't say. So this week, may we be courageous enough to say, if people are seeing Jesus in me, What do they see? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are thankful for this day. We're thankful to be able to share time together, to open your word, to strive for a purity of faith, to live a life that truly just exemplifies that greatest commandment, to love you, to be sold out in love with you. And as a reflection of that, to love our neighbor. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in us. That your Holy Spirit might more clearly define in us Jesus.
we ask that blessing in your name.